this series that we're going to be in throughout the Christmas season simply called God with us because that is what Christmas is all about, isn't it? God with us. Can I hear a better amen than that? God is with us today. You know, 700 years before Jesus was even born, the prophet Isaiah prophesied and said that a virgin would conceive and they would bring forth a son and his name would be Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. And Christmas is a celebration of the day that God the Son, the eternal, everlasting, self-existent Son of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And when Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, he did not wrap himself in royalty. He did not wrap himself in pomp and circumstance. Rather, he wrapped himself in humility. He took on flesh and he dwelt among us. He wanted to be a God that was accessible to all mankind. He wanted to be on the bottom shelf, if you will. He didn't want to come just for the up and coming. He came for the down and out. He came for anyone who would humble themselves and come to him with a broken and a contrite heart. He came in flesh and blood so that he could be tested and tempted and tried at every point just like we are and yet without sin. So that we would know we have a high priest before the Father who can be touched by the feeling of our infirmities and our weaknesses. God knows our struggles. He knows our pains. He knows our hurts. He knows our difficulties. And we are thankful today that Jesus has become our mediator before the Father who can intercede on our behalf. He is God with us. Can you say amen again? Now I don't know how many of you remember this, but... At the very end of last week's message, I had shared with you that I found it fascinating that at the very, uh, at the very onset of his earthly journey, of, of the very commencement of his journey here on this earth, it was declared that he would be God with us. But when you fast forward 33 and a half years to the benediction of his earthly journey, Jesus has already died. He's already risen from the dead. For over 40 days, he has revealed himself at various times to his disciples. And he is about to return to the Father in heaven. And he turns one last time to his disciples and he says to them, Lo, I am with you always. Now the reason that I find that so fascinating, so intriguing, is because... No sooner did Jesus say those words, I am with you always, than he ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty where he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. So here is Jesus saying, I am with you always, and then he leaves them. So obviously when Jesus said, I am with you always, he had something else in mind. More accurately, He had someone else in mind. Jesus was actually entering us all into a phase where he would no longer just be God with us, but that he would be God in us. Can I tell you that Jesus came not just to be God with us, 
He came to be God in us as well. From the very beginning, it was clear that God's intention was that man would be the habitation of the presence of God. Right from the very beginning, God had designed man to actually be the temple of his Holy Spirit. Remember, God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, or his very spirit, and man became a living being. So God created man to actually be the temple of the presence of God. But all of that was lost when sin entered into mankind. And from that moment on, though His Holy Spirit would come upon us, His Holy Spirit could never dwell in us until sin was once and for all eradicated. And that was the first phase of the ministry of Christ, to provide a sacrifice so that our temple could be cleansed and that the Spirit of God could be able to return to mankind. And Jesus, as He's preparing to leave, says to His disciples, I'm going to be with you always, but it's going to be different. It's going to be better than what you could ever imagine. He is not just God with us. He is God in us. Consider these scriptures. Ephesians 3 and verse 17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In Colossians 1 verses 26 and 27, it says the mystery which had, had been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, say this with me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love what it says in 1 John 3 and verse number 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given. Now that last verse is particularly important to our discussion this morning because it actually shows us how Jesus dwells in us by the Spirit whom he has given. What Jesus was inferring at that moment when he said, I am with you always and then left them, was that at this point he was going to be with them but he was going to be in them by the Holy Spirit that he was going to pour out on them not too long after this. Many of you know that before Jesus died upon the cross, he gathered in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed to celebrate the Passover feast with his disciples. And it was here in the upper room that Jesus spent the better part of the evening discussing the Holy Spirit with his disciples. And he actually began to talk about the future work of the Holy Spirit and the role that he would play in the lives of believers from that day forward. The significant work that the Holy Spirit would play in those who follow Jesus Christ. Among other things, this is what he said in John 16, or excuse me, John 14 and verse 16. And I will pray the Father... And he will give you another helper. And I've mentioned to you this before, but that word another literally means another of the same kind. It's not going to be a substitute. It is going to be another of the same kind. Just like me 
is this other helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Jesus had just told them, I am going away, and where I am going, you cannot come. But he said, when I leave you, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Instead, I'm going to come to you. But I'm not going to come to you as I have been here with you for the last three and a half years. I'm going to come to you in the Holy Spirit, who will be in you for the rest of your days, will abide in you forever. Now you know him because he's been dwelling with you here with me. But when I leave, he's no longer just going to dwell with you. He is going to be in you for the rest of your days. Can I just stand here today and tell you that God wasn't just with us on this earth 2,000 years ago for 33 and a half years. He is with us today. And more importantly, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he is in you today for the glory and the honor of his great name. Listen, I love 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. Listen to this verse. Of this salvation, the prophets of the Old Testament have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you and me, searching what, what it was, or what manner of time, or when it would come, the Spirit of Christ who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. That is one of the most mind-bending, mind-blowing scriptures in the entire word of God. Because what Peter was saying is that when the Old Testament prophets, like Isaiah, were prophesying about the things concerning the coming Messiah... It was actually the eternal, everlasting spirit of Christ working in them. Christ is not Jesus' last name. You all know that, right? Christ is not a name. It is an office. It means the anointed one. Christ means the anointed son of God. And what Peter was saying is that when Isaiah and the other prophets were prophesying of the ministry of Christ, it was actually the eternal everlasting spirit of the son of God indicating to them his future sufferings as Christ on the cross and his future glories when he would rise from the dead and return to the earth one day and the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. So just imagine that. Jesus has always existed, not in the person, but in the spirit of Christ. And he was whispering in the ears of the prophets, this is what I'm going to do when I come. And so the spirit of Christ was already 
already at work and he is still at work today. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ available to you and me today so that we may have fellowship with Jesus now through the Holy Spirit. God in us making Jesus not past history but making him present reality to the believer in Jesus' name. Right now I can have fellowship with Jesus who walked on the water, who raised the dead to life, who gave a sight to the blind eyes and hearing to the deaf ears, who raised people from the dead. He's as real to me today as he was 2,000 years ago because he's not just God with us, he's God in us in Jesus' name. Can somebody give God all the praise for that this morning? Now, some of you may be saying, Pastor Kurt, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with Christmas? He has everything to do with Christmas. In fact, Luke pointed that out in his wonderful gospel. Luke pointed out in his accounting of the events surrounding the birth of Christ that it all came about as a direct result of the Spirit's involvement. That that the moment that these events began to unfold, it was the Holy Spirit that was attending to and superintending these things, making one thing very clear to us, and that is that any work of Christ that is going to be done in the earth is not going to be done by might, nor by power, nor by human ingenuity, but by the Spirit of the living God. Can I just tell you, folks, if any of us personally want to do a work for Christ, if this church collectively wants to do a work for Christ, it is not going to be done by might. It is not going to be done by power. It is not going to be done by our human cleverness and our ingenuity. It is going to be done by the Spirit of the living God, because He is the one that reveals Christ to an unbelieving world in Jesus' name. And so this morning, what I want to do very quickly is I want to look through Luke's account of the Holy Spirit's activity in the Christmas story that we may know what God in us means today for the believer. Because I believe that if he did it then, he can do it again today in Jesus' mighty name. I don't know if you realize, but the very first time we hear of the Holy Spirit working in the New Testament, it was in a man named Zacharias. Many of you know his story. Zacharias was a priest married to a very precious lady named Elizabeth. The Bible says that they were both righteous before the Lord, walking in his commandments and blameless. By the time we are introduced to them, they are already well advanced in years, and they were never able to have any children because she was barren. Barrenness was a condition that prohibited her from conceiving a child. And yet, in spite of those setbacks that they experienced, they remained faithful to the Lord. Now, I don't have time to go into this this morning But I will just tell you very quickly that in the course of time, being a priest, the lot fell upon Zacharias to enter into the holy place in the temple, burn incense, and pray on behalf of the nation. That was a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a priest, if you even had that opportunity. You would never do it twice, 
You may never do it at all, and if you did do it, it would be once in a lifetime. It, it was so rare, and yet the Lord orchestrated it so that Zechariah would go in and burn these incense. And as he was praying, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him that even in their old age, he and Elizabeth would have a child. It would be a son, and they were to name him John. The angel went on to tell him that he would be the forerunner to the Messiah's ministry. And he would be responsible for making ready a people prepared for the Lord. The Old Testament prophets had said that before the Messiah came, there would be a voice crying out in the wilderness and would prepare the way of the Lord. So they all knew that there would be a prophet right before the coming of Christ who would prepare the hearts of men and women to receive the ministry of the Messiah. Now Zechariah realizes that it is his son to be born that will be this forerunner to the ministry of Christ. So Zechariah, being a very aged man, asked the natural question, how is this going to be? I am an old man and my wife advanced in years. What a politically correct priest he was. I am an old man. My wife is just advanced in years. I like that. The angel immediately chastised this priest for his lack of faith and for his unbelief. And he told him, because you did not believe the word of the Lord, you are going to be deaf and mute until all of these things are fulfilled. And so for the next nine months, this priest could not talk. For the next nine months, this priest could not hear. He lived in a world of silence. Nine months later, John is born. And then eight days after he is born, they take him to the temple so that he can be circumcised and that he can be named. They weren't officially named until that moment. So they come to the temple and those who are attending to this matter turn to Elizabeth because she's the only one that they can communicate with. And they asked her, what will his name be? And she said, his name is John. Now, they were all baffled with that because the tradition of that day is that you would name your son after his father or at least someone in your family. But no one in her family was named John. And so they questioned her on this. You can't name him John. There's no one in the family named John. And so they finally turned to the deaf-mute Zechariah, who hasn't spoken anything or heard anything in the last nine months, and this is what happens. you got to love this. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, his name is John. So they all marveled immediately. I love it. So as soon as he writes, his name is John, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. And later it says, now his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. When I read that the other day, I was reminded that the Holy Spirit gives us our prophetic voice. Can I tell you that when the Holy Spirit is in you, He gives you a prophetic voice to speak into the days that you live in for the glory of God. For nine months, 
This man of God, for nine months, this godly ministry lay dormant because of a season of unbelief. For nine months, this preacher could not say a word. I can't imagine as a preacher not being able to talk for nine months. My wife dreams of it often. For nine months, Zechariah couldn't hear anything. So he's living in a world of silence. He sees all of the confusion around him because they do not know why this older woman is having a baby this late in life. They don't understand the significance. He can't communicate it properly. He can't hear anything. All he is is living in a world of silence. All he remembers is his failure and his unbelief. But he also considers the faithfulness of God. But he also picks up the Old Testament prophecy. And he begins to read about the ministry of his future son And the ministry of the coming Messiah And he understands the days that he is living in And all of a sudden the fire is just burning within his bones And nine months later he is filled with the Holy Spirit And he prophesies, he pierces that darkness after nine months And brings clarity so that they would understand the days that they are living in Can I tell you that the church church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America needs a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we may have a prophetic voice once again in Jesus' name. I felt this so much in my heart. Friday morning, I felt the Lord wake me up and I get up and just started writing some of these things down. For a very long time, the church has not had a prophetic voice because of our unbelief, for our refusal to talk about the Holy Spirit, for our refusal to preach the Word of God. And by and large, the church is deaf and dumb in this critical hour. We can't hear God's voice. We don't have a prophetic voice. We got pastors that are life coaches, but are not prophets in the pulpit declaring the word of the Lord and my friend we can't afford to be that way because the book of Acts says it shall come to pass in the last days says God that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams can I tell you we better wake up to the fact that we are to be a prophetic voice in the land possessing dreams and visions as to what is happening And for too long the church has been reacting and responding to what is happening Instead of knowing what is going to happen And what the people of God must do to prepare for that day We need the Holy Spirit in this hour And a thus saith the Lord So that we can call this nation back to repentance towards God And faith in Jesus Christ alone We need prophets on our high school campuses We need prophets in our colleges, in our universities in our workplaces, in our marketplace. God has put you there to have a voice of the prophet in Jesus' name. We need the Spirit of God to give us back. Thus saith the Lord in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody, give God the praise if you believe that. I also see the Holy Spirit at work in Elizabeth, his wife. Elizabeth was not only Zacharias' wife, But she was Mary's cousin as well. And when Mary became pregnant through the Holy Spirit, the angel told her that Elizabeth was with child as well and told of the miraculous conception. It was not a virgin birth, but it was miraculous nonetheless. 
And immediately hearing that, Mary, we are told, went to be with Elizabeth. She was actually there for a period of three months. When she got there, Elizabeth was already six months pregnant with John. And I want you to see this. When Mary comes in and she greets Elizabeth, you pick it up here in verse 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe, this is John, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then later she said, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. When I read this the other day, I was reminded that the Holy Spirit is our counselor and our comforter. That the Holy Spirit is our counselor and our comforter. You know, I think that this is one of the most tender scenes in all of this Christmas story that we don't consider. Because Mary has just received news that she is going to be with child by the power of the Holy Spirit. An incredible honor. And yet, as we said last week, no one initially believed her story. Initially, no one, not even Joseph, heard, heard her story and believed it. They, they thought it was a cover-up. They thought that it was some kind of a conspiracy. But no one believed her story. And if Mary had just been left at that, she may have grown very discouraged. Who knows? She may have even given up and not wanted to follow through. But the Lord led her to go to Elizabeth, who being freshly baptized in the Holy Spirit, began to comfort her, began to encourage her, began to bless her. And for the next three months, Mary was built up in the Holy Spirit so that when she went back home, she was ready to face all of the ridicule, all of the scandal that would unfold because she knew that the Holy Spirit was with her. I'm going to tell you today, the Holy Spirit is your comforter. He is your encourager today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the pain that is in your heart. I don't know what you've been experiencing, but I know this. You have one who has been called alongside of you. He is the Holy Spirit of God, and he will encourage you in the dark seasons of life. He will comfort you. He will console you. He will be your counselor so that no matter what you face in life, you're going to make it through it in Jesus' mighty name because he is your comforter. Can you give him praise today? You know, believe it or not, I see the work of the Holy Spirit even in John before he was born. Think about this. John the Baptist had not even been born yet when he had his first encounter with the Holy Spirit. You remember when I told you that John, or excuse me, Zechariah was in the temple and the angel appeared to him. The angel said this to him, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. The angel told him, Your baby boy is going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit when he's still in the womb. How many of you wish your children had been baptized in the Holy Spirit in the womb? Now you fast forward, okay? The baby's been born, and Mary has come to see Elizabeth, 
and she's greeted her. Now listen to this. This is what Elizabeth says. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. When I read that the other day, I was reminded that the Holy Spirit gives us joy. That the Holy Spirit is the source of our joy. Can you give God the praise for that? Now just just think about this for a moment. The message of the coming Messiah and the plan of salvation revealed in him were so amazing, so unbelievable, so awe-inspiring that even the unborn fetus of John could not contain himself but leapt within his mother's womb with joy. Can I just stand here and be as bold to tell you, if an unborn baby that has no consciousness of sin and righteousness, the fall of man, the judgment to come, can leap with joy in the womb, tell me how can you and I, who are aware of our sin, our fall, our failure, and the judgment of God that we have been redeemed from through Jesus Christ, not leap with joy in this house this morning? I just cannot understand how people who have been redeemed from hell and sin and death can come to church on Sunday morning and sit like this and say, I wish it was over and cannot praise God. If you've been redeemed, you ought to have a shout of praise on your heart and joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Come on, can you, can you talk to me today, church? I don't know about anybody else. I can just tell you where I was when he found me. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I met the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And there is joy in my heart that the world can't give and the world can't take away. If you're filled with the Spirit of God, let the joy of the Lord flow out of you this morning. In Jesus' name. Come on. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, don't be afraid of that. Hallelujah. Paul said in Romans 14 and verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, if you have no joy here this morning, it is not because things are bad. It is because you need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because even in bad times, you can still have a joy that rings through your heart because you are saved by the grace of Almighty God. Come on, somebody. Give him some praise in this house this morning. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Boy, that's going to lead us right into the next one because I also see the Holy Spirit at work in Mary. In Mary. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Mary to tell her that she had been chosen by God and that she would be with child, she asked, how is this going to be? I don't know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now fast forward again back to Elizabeth's house. It's where so much of this takes place is in Elizabeth's house. And she has just heard the blessing that Elizabeth has made over her. And Mary says in response to this, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. When I read that the other day, I was reminded 
that the Holy Spirit releases extravagant praise and worship. That when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you cannot help but extravagantly praise and worship your Savior, Jesus Christ. I I love this, and, and we forget it often. But it's the Holy Spirit who directs us to worship Christ. You may remember, again, back in that upper room, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit with his disciples. Listen to what he says in John 16. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Listen to this. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. One of the chief responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. Now I love the word glorify. The word glorify literally means to make the dignity and worth of someone manifest and known. That's what glorify means. To make the dignity and worth of someone manifest and known. So that means when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, that He makes it possible for you to manifest and make known the dignity and worth of Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you now, obviously that extends beyond these four walls. But I just want to talk about our time together on Sundays and on Wednesdays whenever we're gathered together that we as spirit-filled believers are coming in and when we lift up our hands and we lift up our voices and when we clap our hands and even from time to time even dance before the Lord it is the Holy Spirit that is actually empowering us to put on display and manifest the dignity and the wonder and the splendor of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior so that when the unbelieving world comes in, they may see that there is a living Savior that is alive and well and has redeemed us for the glory and the honor of Almighty God. Our praise and our worship should be extravagant. When we come in, we should be able to lift our voice and praise God regardless to what song is being sung because it's not the song I worship, it is the Jesus that I am worshiping for His glory and His honor. Our worship should be extravagant. And I'm going to tell you as your pastor, in 2017, I am praying for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit to occur in Bethel that releases extravagant worship in this house. And I know that not every worship service has to be loud, but I do believe that every worship service should be alive, that it should have life within it, so that when the dead world comes in, they would find that we serve a living Savior. And I'm calling upon all of you that Know what I'm talking about. Because not everyone knows what I'm talking about. But if you know what I'm talking about, I'm calling on you to get over yourself and everyone around you and just begin to enter into praise and worship in this new year and lead men and women to know that it's all right to get a little loud on Sunday morning. That it doesn't always have to be quiet. That we can lift up our voice and we can praise our God because He's redeemed us from the curse in Jesus' name. Come on, would you just praise God for the next 10 seconds? Can you just stand to your feet and give Him all the praise in this house? He's worthy of our praise. 
Come on, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah, we bless your name. You alone are worthy of our praise, O oh God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We bless your name, we bless your name. Hallelujah. You can be seated. I got one more point. <laughs> are you going to be with me in this coming year? Come on. Don't come dragging in here on Sunday morning. Praise your God. Finally, I see the work of the Holy Spirit in a man named Simeon. You know, one of the most overlooked stories surrounding the birth of Christ came eight days after his birth when Mary and Joseph brought him to the temple to be circumcised and to be named as well. I love this story and always have. You pick it up in Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. When I read that the other day, I was reminded that the Holy Spirit empowers us to endure to the end. He empowers us to endure to the very end. Think about this. As far as Scripture is concerned, for his entire conscience, conscious life, Simeon remained faithful to God, waiting for the consolation of Israel because the Holy Spirit at some point had revealed to him that he would not die until with his own eyes he had seen the Lord's Christ. So day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and now decade after decade, he remained faithful to God and waited patiently to see Jesus. His whole lifetime, he said yes to things he wanted to say no to. He said no to things he wanted to say yes to. He didn't just go wherever he wanted to go. He didn't just do whatever he wanted to do. He sacrificed his entire life because the Holy Spirit had shown him, one day you will see the Lord's Christ before you die. And he never wanted to miss out on that opportunity. He did not dare to just do whatever he wanted to do and say whatever he wanted to say and go wherever he wanted to go because he knew one time in his life he would see the Messiah before he checked out. And he said, I don't have the, the luxury of just living recklessly. I've got to walk with the Spirit of God and I've got to endure. And one morning the Holy Spirit said, you need to go to the temple today. And he went over to the temple and he's looking around and he sees Mary with, 
Jesus. And immediately the Spirit bears witness with his Spirit that this is the Messiah. And he goes over and he tenderly takes Jesus into his arms. And you can just imagine tears streaking down his cheeks. And he says, now I can depart in peace for my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. And I just wonder, I guess it's the, the, the dramatic side of my life, but you just wonder if at that point he turned to Mary and Joseph and said, you will never know what I endured to get to this moment. You don't know all of the sacrifices that I made, but I am telling you that the Holy Spirit was with me every step of the way, telling me it'll be worth it all when you see Jesus face to face. Can I tell you, as I have said for a long time here, folks, you got to learn to endure to the very end. For those that endure to the end shall be saved. And I know it's hard. And I know that sometimes you want to give up. And sometimes you say, is it worth it? Is it worth it when I see her? Is it worth it when I see him? Is it worth it when I see them? Is it worth it when I am losing friends because of the commitment that I have made? Is it worth it when I can't do the things that I'd rather do because I don't want to miss out on what God has? But you have the Holy Spirit inside of you that says, child, it is going to be worth it all because if you endure to the end, you're going to see Jesus face to face one day. Can I hear a praise here this morning in it? In Jesus' name. Bless the Lord. I love what Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 25. He says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Paul is basically saying, I know it's tough. And I know that persevering and sacrificing is not always easy. But the Holy Spirit is there to intercede for you and your weaknesses. Because let's be honest, when our world is falling apart, we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. And all we can do is just groan and grunt. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit can use those groanings to intercede for the will of God to be done in our lives. The Holy Spirit is there to strengthen you to endure whatever comes in this life. So don't give up in Jesus' name. I love what he says in verse 23 of that same chapter. And not only this, but we too who have, listen to this, the first fruits of the spirit of joy, a joyful indication of the blessings to come. First fruits of the spirit, a joyful indication of the blessings to come. Even we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the sign of our adoption as sons, the redemption and transformation of our body at the resurrection. But I love that one part. First fruits of the spirit, a joyful indication of the blessings to come. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit is our initial down payment. That he is the first installment of the glories of heaven that will be revealed one day. The Holy Spirit, you know, there's some that say it this way. The Holy Spirit is a foretaste of heaven to come. 
So literally as the Holy Spirit is in us, He is also with the Father and the Son in heaven. And so the Holy Spirit is uniquely put in the life of a believer, giving us a taste of heaven, even here on this earth. That when we're alone with the Spirit of God, and we can sense Him coming over us, we're getting a taste of what it's going to be like for all of eternity. It's the Spirit inside of us saying, don't give up, it'll be worth it all. When you see Jesus Christ, folks, I know that we're entering into difficult days. And I don't know how difficult they will be, but I know this. The Holy Spirit is more than equal to the task. And He will give you all of the strength to overcome. Don't you dare give up. It'll be worth it all when you see Jesus face to face. Come on, stand to your feet this morning and give Him praise. Come on, give Him a clap offering. Praise the name of the Lord this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless His holy name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We worship you. Come on, you sing this if you know it. I'm singing out some old songs. Sing it if you know it.